drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Bonjour and welcome to episode 40 of Drive-by Cinema, the movie-watching podcast for people stuck in lockdown with my co-host Paul. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 40. It feels like a milestone. It's not really, but it feels like one. And also today we have our wonderful guest, Jacob, Jacob. returning since this was his idea to do this movie. I am your host, Rick, of course. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, Rich. And Jacob. And everybody. Hello. Jacob, you were a big fan of Get Out, I think. It seemed that you were very interested to see what me and Paul said about Get Out. I I, I need to watch that, yes, because I am a big fan of Get Out. I thought Get Out was a wonderful movie. Yeah, I was very surprised by it. I don't know. Tell me. (laughs) Fill me in. So I don't have to... me to my timbers. Yes. I mean, it was a scary movie. We liked it, yeah. And it's an important movie, isn't it? It's tackling real race issues in a way that you don't see done very often. Absolutely. In a way where it was very clear whoever was making the movie, and I think it was Key and Peele, it was Peele or Key? It was Jordan Peele, wasn't it? Jordan Peele was deeply in love with a certain kind of horror movie, like The Wicker Man. Yeah. And that's what it was about. That's what the movie was. I mean, the race element, it was clearly there, but... At no point did I feel uh, lectured in any way. I just felt I was watching somebody who really loved those kinds of movies and it happened to to speak very eloquently. Um, the way that it was structured, the way it was put together, the nature of the horror to uh, what I can try to empathise with as a black experience in America. I mean, I yeah. just thought it was brilliant. And since lockdown is ending, presumably we'll be able to go to the cinema again soon. Weird. <laughs> yeah, not all that enticing, is it? The horror. I mean, I don't know how you normally do your your movie going experience because I like to do it solitary or with a big bunch of friends, but I don't do this sort of two or three people thing normally. So right, okay, yeah. So be... solitary for me is the same as it was before. Yes, of course. I too don't... intimate, I guess, with with one or two other people, wouldn't it? Yeah, you mean in and the cinema? I, I don't have a big group of friends this side of the, the 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 earth, so so like that's not going to happen if I live in the UK. Cause... Is that just because China is so much more populous that you you just find more people? Yeah, you just hang around on a busy street corner, <laughs> pull people off their tricycles as they you know try to, as they try to deliver their their just eats equivalent. Uh, <laughs> But you didn't watch many movies in China, and that's what you told us before we started this podcast, and hence the podcast. No, no. Well, when DVDs were a thing, DVDs were huge and cheap and pirated in China. So, like, if it, was, if it wasn't something you were particularly looking forward to, rather, you know, let's waste an evening watching, watching some schlock or watching something that might or, might or might not turn out to be bad or good, then you'd just do it at home on your, on your screen kind of thing. And then, of course, digitization really occurred in 2015-ish time. Before that, it was pretty much DVDs. But I think five years ago in China, then uh, there wasn't that much of a movie industry. Like, And, of course, the censors only let in about 80, 84. There's a limit. There's actually a number, like 84 foreign movies per year. It's like two a week. Right. Yeah. So there's only about two new foreign movies a week. I wonder whether the 2000 and... Actually, when was this movie made? 2012? Yes, 2012. Yes. In 2012, I wonder whether Benny Loves Killing made it over to China. I'm going to say no. (laughs) It is, yes, it's the film that I said we should watch last week. And I did have a little bit, as I enthusiastically trotted out this film that my friend made, I did have some second thoughts because... Obviously, most of the films that we would review, the person who made it is there's exactly zero percent chance they might hear what we have to say about it. How dare you! (laughs) And then I realised that I that I suggested my friend's film, and that that might constrict you or or mess with your flow, your rhythm. Are you still good friends, Jacob? Yeah. Wow. So no, I have a question because don't, I'm not, 
I'm not saying why for, for other reasons, uh, for review reasons. I'm saying why because therefore you can answer a question. Like this movie was free on Amazon Prime. Yes. Does your friend enjoy some sort of royalty from from Amazon because of this? In passing, on one of the movie nights, he mentioned he gets like eight p or something every time somebody watches it. That much? Something like that. Some small amount. I don't think it's any kind of industry secret or anything like that, but yeah, some small amount he gets. So, like, well, they're watching for a whole hour, aren't they? So it's you know, it's a good. I I think it's a good fifty pence worth of, of, of mind, you know, mind control time, <laughs> isn't it? For for for. For, for Amazon or whatever, but the point is, like, if it was if it was able to charge one ninety nine or two ninety nine, therefore we presume you get more than eight p. Yeah, I have no idea. We're about to talk about the movie, so mind control aside, it's time to play the innocuous sting music that in no way influences our listeners to do something nefarious. <laughs> So after that innocuous but dangerous music, I, I, I suddenly feel that uh, I want to wait for what you have to say about this movie first of all. Richard. <laughs> no, I mean it's not that there are whispered subliminals in that early, early music. I got to say, you're making me think there are definitely whispered subliminals in that early music. <laughs> oh, that's just what I we want. I can categorically deny that there are no uh, whispered subliminals in that uh, in the early intro music to, that uh, frames the beginning of our podcast. Jacob, what would you describe this movie as being about if you were have to have, to have a gun held to your head? <laughs> I would say uh, I would say it's a about a homeless drug addict who's trying to make a movie in French. I, I think the movies, as far as I can tell, the movies in English. There is a lot of French in this movie. But wait, she's living in London or some or Slough or somewhere, isn't she? Uh, yes, just by the architecture. Yes, I would say definitely London. Oh, it's very London. It is very London. The, the one thing I thought about this movie is it it, it, it just it sort of reeks of being in London. Maybe any big city, but I think mostly London. In what sense? The cruel sort of cruel sort of traffic noise that just is a constant background to everybody's lives. It's the claustrophobia of it, right? You know, it's people living. Well, she's living in. She's couch surfing, isn't she? At the start uh, of the movie, mm, she's yeah. staying on people's sofas, and a lot of the movie is a close-up shot of her or whoever she's with, there's very little establishing shot. You very rarely see shots outside establishing where you are and what's happening. We do see a lot of her face. We also see a lot of the drugs that she's using too. It's just the way you would make a film if you were in London and you had limited locations and you were just going to shoot the people. It's going to be an entirely people-focused thing. It would all end up being quite claustrophobic and quite tight on the person. I suppose it would be true in any city, but particularly in London where... You presume you can't afford to have, you know, if you were to do this in L.A., you, there would be some massive house, wouldn't there? There'd be some, yes. like you see in porn movies, you know, in San Fernando Valley, whatever it's called, where, where they're all made Santa Barbara. But you know, you'd have a much bigger uh, location to shoot on. Whereas in London, obviously, the, those places don't exist in the same way, and it ends up feeling like if you go to visit anybody in London, you're going to be in somebody's you know, front room, and you're going to be, you know, normal, no more than three feet away, which is why we're not allowed to do it for the last year. <laughs> well, I have to say, I, I, I saw it, I saw it when it first came out in 2012, maybe 2013, and I had a good impression of it. And watching it again, the first impression was that I was almost seasick with how tight it was on the faces and following yeah. faces and being really tight in to people all the time, especially the heroine. The, the, the homeless drug addict, played by very well, I think, by that actress. I, I wanted to remark early on on her performance because while I was watching it, I was sudden at some point I became aware of just how much time we're spending right up in looking Paul, at her. Yeah, yeah, looking at her, Pauline Cootsy. And I was always, I mean, maybe you would disagree with me here, but I was always interested in what she was doing, even though like half the film is right in her face. So I was very impressed by that. You're right. I think she does put in a good performance and it's not, I mean, it's quite a vulnerable performance because she's not always at her best, if arguably if ever, you know. I think she's playing a character who all of her friends are telling her needs a shower. <laughs> she claims at one point she's got aquaphobia. She doesn't like to use the word hydrophobia because I think that's associated with rabies. 
But yeah, she doesn't like taking showers in other people's shower rooms, which I can understand. That's understandable. But she does uh, a wet wipe wash, doesn't she, when she wakes up at the start of the film? She wouldn't smell, though, with a wet wipe, wet wipe wash. But she'd smell of that weird thing that's on wet wipes. But she wouldn't smell of the you need to take a shower smell. No, probably not, actually. No, no definitely not. But she doesn't wash her hair. Her hair's greasy, they tell her, don't, don't they? Her yes. mum tells her that when she goes to her mum's house. But greasy hair isn't smelly. Oh. Is that because it washes itself after a while? Well, the grease embeds any dirt, doesn't it? That's what the grease does. It kind of like embeds any any sort of smelly dirt kind of thing. And you get dreadlocks. In the same way that, you know, if you've got pickles and you and you pour a, a layer of oil onto the top of the pickle, <laughs> it helps preserve them even longer. So it's we're, like a seal, isn't it? You preserve the dirt in your hair and lock <laughs> the flavour in. It. You lock up that, that dirty goodness kind of thing. So as long as you're not going to suck on it, it's fine. Yeah, then you don't suck on the hairs, you know. You should be all right. But you see, so in terms of personal hygiene, one, yeah, a little niggle here. I don't buy the fact that, you know, she's doing wet white washes, she's going to smell. He's marking down the science. <laughs> yeah. Two. They, do you, is there going to be a science section? Because isn't this a horror movie? I don't movie? think so. Don't it's sort of a horror movie <laughs> about a horror, somebody making a horror movie, which is about horror movies. That's another but, thing. So she's, she's a film student, isn't she? Mm. That's Sorry, can we just get back to the, we'll get to the second issue. The personal hygiene. <laughs> so okay. yeah. Have you ever been asked at work to <laughs> have a personal hygiene conversation with somebody that works with you or under you or that kind of thing? I've been in meetings where it's been raised, yes, but I haven't been asked to. No one's thought right. I would be the, the right person to deliver one. that okay. We were working together, I believe, when it was raised in a meeting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. A long time ago. Was it raised about one person, obviously? Or... It was I about think... you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, but you, he was probably in the company that you were working for, Paul. What, and he was in the meeting when it was raised? No. <laughs> oh, thank God. Right, okay. So, yeah. So, it's one situation where a guy had... that. I mean, like, Asian guys don't get this. Like, East Asian guys. It's to do with the amount of bacteria that grows on our armpits, isn't it? You know? Wait, is and this a fact? Like, or is this a racist trope? I, <laughs> it's, I racist, but it's, racist, it's a racist fact that happens to be true. They don't smell. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> they don't smell that lot, do they? No. no I, I mean, I'm not saying it the right way. But, for whatever reason... <laughs> Caucasian skin types tend to produce more of the bacteria, and the bacteria breaks down whatever comes out of sweat, and it produces can produce sometimes for a small percentage of the population, like uncontrollable BO. People that you know they're washed and they come out of the shower and they produce this smell. I'm sure you've met these kind of people. You know? I think my it's daughter like, might be one of them. It's like one in a hundred <laughs> people, but Asians don't. It's really rare in Asia. It has it does happen in Asia, but it's really rare. And like this guy had this problem. You know, he's like. Yeah, the manager just went up to her and went up to her and was like, "Oh God, you really stink! You know, you need to, you need to control your bo." And I couldn't believe it. But anyway, I've been asked to do it twice myself. The first time I took the coward's way out, which was like I bought lots and lots of sure right guard and just left it <laughs> like everywhere. Like I bought like twelve bottles and just left them everywhere. That 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 doesn't sound like the coward's way out. That sounds like the polite person's way out. <laughs> No? Well, it wasn't effective. But it, it, it didn't work, did it? it That's work, why we're no. coming to, to option two. Option two. <laughs> then about four years later, I was asked. I, I was managing a uh, call centre. Um, one of the guys, he was, he was my top seller, you know, and the P- HR assistant, she had a real problem with his BO. Part of it was the fact that, they, you know, we were working in an unair-conditioned office. It was the middle of summer. So even after five or six hours, unless you spray at lunchtime, for most people, there's going to start to be some sort of whiff. But for him, it was it, it was quite powerful, you know. Yeah. And I, and she insisted I had to do something about it. I was like, I don't want to do anything about it. And I had to, like, go and ascertain the risk, Harris. I had to, like, walk around, pretend to be interested in their calls, and, like, sniff, you know, to work out, you know, <laughs> was it... Was she oppressive. making mountains out of molehills or rubbish heaps? It was out fairly of... oppressive, okay. but it wasn't... It wasn't... I, I, I've smelt worse... To the two previous occasions, you know. But I kind of agreed to go. I mean, these days, there's probably an app for this, isn't there? Well, these days, I think I get five of what I do. Because I had a one-to-one meeting and pointed out the problem to him. And I don't think that's okay these days. Is it? He was crestfallen. And I could see he was really destroyed by what I said. And I feel really bad that I ever actually did that. But, but no, on, the, on the other hand, it's good to tell someone because they won't be aware, will they? 
I don't know if it is really. This is only a small part of this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but fascinating topic, really. But you know, how do you address personal hygiene? I think what I did as as as, as a manager wouldn't be allowed these days to directly address the fact. I think it has to be this. allowed. It has to be. You have to be able to bring someone up who is stinky out the office. I can't not hire you for having tattoos. So why can I not hire you for being stinky? Ah, uh, well, but we're talking about a comp- well, well, fire you for being stinky. That would be well. I one's a physical, one's a visual display of self. There's a a a falcatry, a, a, a falcatry, olfactory display of self, isn't it? Did you know? Do I not have the right to smell how I want to smell? Yes. <laughs> I don't think I do, but I mean, but you can't bring uh, a bird of prey into the office. <laughs> I know you. Mean. Any bird of prey. Falconry is just mad. Benny is sleeping <laughs> on her friend's couch, and she's a film student trying to make a horror movie. Yes, a horror movie about horror movies. I think what we're gonna see in this film is Benny as she navigates first of all the problems of keeping and maintaining funding on her film course which she's told at the start of the film is a theory course not a practical course yes it's not clear why they're allowing her to make a horror movie with her funding (laughs) well they are she says it's an essay she says it's an essay yeah like like a visual essay I suppose yeah well they're saying write us an essay you silly woman and now she's going, no, I make our film. <laughs> no, roughly. The interesting, one of the interesting things about this film is there's very few men in it. Those that there are, you rarely see their face. So one of them seems to be like her tutor or whatever at the start, telling her that it's a theory course and her funding's at risk. And I think he may reappear later when they're trying to figure out whether they're going to give her the funding. And that's all done from behind, isn't it? You never yeah, see, you his see his face. Yeah, you don't see his face. Even the rear of him is blurred, out of focus, isn't it? Mm. Similarly, filmed in the same way later on, there's a guy who's harassing her sexually you know, at a party, as I recall. And then there's a couple of guys when she's filming the horror movie. One of them's wearing a mask. The other one you see fleetingly. And then there's, of course, your friend, Chris, Yes, it's, I do also, know a couple he's the people only in this movie. Man. <laughs> I well, no, I know, I know two people in this movie. One of them is apparently the only man really who a, a face appears on screen, and certainly the only man who you get to see words coming out of their mouth. Mouth, yes. Yeah. And I put this to Ben. I was like, well, I, "This is the only insight I have. This is the only time I've really spoken to him about the film." Because, oh. <laughs> well, when somebody you, have you ever made anything? Or, or, or known anybody who's making That's anything. a very accusatory way of putting it. People, well, because they ask Paul the same question. <laughs> hey, I'm not, I'm not on his back. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying it in a guilty way. Is that there's like, oh. um, whenever I make anything, I don't want anybody to talk to me about it. Jesus fucking Christ! That's sure, the last yeah, thing yeah. I want. I just want people to pay attention to it, and you know, and give shut me up money. About it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but I did have this one question that I really wanted to know, which is why Chris is, seems to be the only man in the film, and he does point out that when he's in Chris's house, um, that's where he finds the wigs. So it's right. it's possible that Chris is actually a woman. Presents <laughs> right. Okay, well, that's a whole new slant on the whole thing. That's wow. true. That is true. She, Benny finds the wigs in Chris's house. Yeah, yes. I did wonder slightly about that. Well, I was obsessed with her at the beginning, to be, because at the beginning, it's a shot of the back of her head, the long, her long hair, in the yeah. dream sequence. She's in the middle of a dream. The dream is like, very important. The dream appears early on and recurs and recurs and ah, recurs, yes. She's in an art gallery, yeah? Wandering through. And then she wakes up, but it's not. It's all just a dream, and we see her in a morning routine. But when when the first when the dream sequence first started, we see the shot of the long hair. I was thinking of those muppets that have hair in front of their faces, and I was expecting her to part her hair and to see her face, but it wasn't. It was just the back of her head. I'm saying that in, in, I'm saying that in passing because she wakes up, and then we see a morning routine. She's got one of those really nice octagonal coffee makers that you put on the on the hob mm. and then she smokes some weed yeah and so. she also cleans with uh, her her wet wipe yeah and she looks at a dead beetle in the garden and then she starts stabbing a tuft of grass with scissors 
Yes. I did. I wrote very early on. This is a story about a homeless drug addict and ah. she is unlikable. These these were two things that I wrote down yeah. in my notes. Why is she unlikable, though? It's an interesting observation, but is she... I mean, we watch her through the whole film. I wrote it early on. It was just It was just a sudden... It was just a, a response. I think it was after she'd found a dead beetle and then been stabbing... <laughs> stabbing dirt in the garden with a dirty pair of scissors. But, I mean, for me, there's, there, there are three sort of intersecting hinges here. One, she's homeless. Two, she's French and expressive. And three, <laughs> she's in London not being a Londoner. And I think one of the three things might make her unlikable, but which one is it? <laughs> it's the French, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's the French rather than the fact, you know, she's 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 homeless and, and, and sort of, you know, always hanging around where people don't necessarily want her in their private lives kind of thing. She she meets her mother. Yeah. So we meet her mother quite like that's sort of the next thing that happens. Yeah, that's the next thing that happens, yeah. And her mother is definitely very French. Much more likable. Yeah. But she goes to see her mum. Now, she's just come out of the meeting with a tutor. And the tutor said, where's your bloody essay? And she said, actually, I made a film. The film includes all the elements of an essay presented in a narrative format that addresses mm. itself, whatever that means. And she's come out of that, having told she's about to get chopped off a course. She goes to see her mum. And she doesn't talk about any of this with her mum, does she? So, uh, for me... Her mum's not interested, is she? She's oh. heard it before. Oh, is that, is that why? Or they're both disconnected? Are they both disconnected from reality? Or what? Or- I think her mum begs her to move back. I mean, her mum's being pretty mummy. She's being... Mummy, yeah, she's very much right. so, yeah. yeah. She's just not sharing her problems with her mother, you see. Is no. That she, she's, she, she pushes, but doesn't she? She kind of goes, oh, mother, you're this, you're that. That might have been the bit where I... Because she's, she wasn't very nice to her mother and it wasn't quite clear why, although it does sort of become maybe clearer later on. I, well, I think it's, it's emotional, but it's not gaslighting, is it? It's not intentionally... She's not intentionally pushing buttons. She's just emoting, isn't she? Mm. Well, I think we see later on that her mother's got a drug problem herself, hasn't yeah. she, as we discovered. Yes. And although throughout the film we see Benny doing cocaine and smoking weed, her she mother seems... Do she doesn't do heroin and her mother seems to do yeah. the heroin. Mum's on the main line to London, yeah. This isn't, this isn't a happy-go-lucky cinema no, experiences. Cinema experience. But presumably, Benny feels that that her mother is possibly responsible for her, some of her own drug habits, in a way. Well, she, she is, isn't she? Let's face facts. Yeah, I, I think that must be true. And she must blame her in some way. She's obviously very concerned when she finds needles and thinks that her mother's... Back on you know, the, do, back back on on the, the smack. Heroin, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, why doesn't she live with her mother? I think she lives with her mother because she can't cope with her mother doing heroin and... And she has her own drug problems, doesn't she? Mm. Presumably costing her money, which is partly why she can't find anywhere of her own to live, presumably, which results in a... She has to leave where she's staying because quite early on, the girl whose place she's staying in tries to sexually harass her. She gets sexually harassed both Mm. by the men and the women in this movie, doesn't she? How does the girl try and sexually harass her? She starts speaking quite lasciviously, doesn't she, with her about stuff and she says you've been here for a while and haven't asked for rent but you know that's going to change and she asks she tries to kiss her or she asks for 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 a kiss and that's the point at which benny leaves that place and starts she goes to chris's house doesn't she next and asks to stay there for a bit and then eventually of course chris gets pissed off with her staying and so she steals his wigs she looks really different, doesn't she, when she's wearing the wigs? It's amazing the transformation that a wig has on a person, actually. One of the reasons why she's quite a captivating um, actor is that she her look is so different. The dream sequence is very different from her shabby couch surfer appearance, mm. which is, a very, again, very different from her in a blonde wig and a, and a short brunette wig. So she's quite interesting to look at. Not really super pretty, honestly, but she's still interesting. I thought you were on the nose when you said vulnerable. Again, I just thought she she carried the movie so much. She was so interesting. Have we kind of nailed home that this movie is really horrible and depressing? I like. <laughs> I feel that we should have opened with this. Like that's clearly the case. It's like 
I think that's the point. It, 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 it's horrifying. I, I have some thoughts about, because you said it, or she says in the movie, I'm going to be this movie's champion. Screw you guys. And you need to start mm. properly shitting on it. Not pussyfooting in the, at the bout and saying oeuvre every so often. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I think props to the fact that he doesn't glorify or sentimentalise drug use. You know, it's presented in, in quite a, Bleak light of day kind of way, which I, you know, I quite liked really. You know, there's nothing. I think British British movies of an indie ilk of the era, possibly better finance than this, you often presented it as just one big long party of of various kinds, a beta party or you know, sort of London gangland party, you know, all this all this wonderful, fabulous, fun drug use. You know, mm. and you don't get that here. You know, you just get the fact that it's, it's drug use and she's dependent and. It is what it is. It's not killing her, but it's not particularly fun either, is it? It's not just the drugs. In fact, in a sense, the drug use, although clearly it's a terrible thing for her to be doing, it's just not helping her. But it's also, in a way, the nicest thing she does because she ends up, she, because she ends up being thrown out by Chris where she was staying. She ends up on the tube. She takes keys out of the person who's sitting next to her out of their pocket, and then cleverly, I thought, she mm. follows that person home when they get off the tube she follows them yeah to see where they live wow that is clever yeah. so that she can use the keys to get into that place later on like the next day when they're away at work again although it wasn't clear to me how she knew which flat number they were in yeah. if you go up to your own flat you don't you wouldn't you wouldn't call anybody because there'd be nobody there would they mark it down on the science but <laughs> yes but she, <laughs> she... <laughs> She she visits she does it several times like that's one setup she's and got then you a bag see her keys, she's got she? a yeah. giant bag of keys and she does it again and again and again and nearly gets caught once as well I think somebody comes home at one point and she yeah. slips when she's in the middle of this thing one of the things that is pleasant about this movie I think is a lot of the time it's very close on people's faces and it's about their faces yeah. sometimes it suddenly becomes very pretty suddenly mm. when she gets caught she she's blindfolds herself and she's sort of dancing doing some weird dance in the middle of the room and I think that's when she falls to sleep and she has the dream again but it's it's very beautifully it's just very beautiful looking and the wigs changing I thought that it sometimes it was a very beautiful picture very beautiful pictures I concur what I liked as a, to come back to like uh, to, to the recurrent riff I'm developing here about like the drug use and the paraphernalia and the details of the drug use and the detail of the still life shots, you know, I think at some point she has to help prepare a rabbit for her mother, mm. you know, and we get lots of these very real still live shots, almost like, you know, almost like not cinema, cinematographic shots, almost like, you know, photographic shots. The detail is oppressive. Mm. I, there's quite an oppressive feel to it. That was quite, I thought it was quite impactful, generally. You know, it doesn't. There's nothing really shied away from. There's nothing. It tries to present things as they are, which I think is a noble thing for a film to do, for a sober, serious film to do. So, mm. I mean, she isn't a sympathetic character. She calls her mother Christine rather than Mum, <laughs> which is a bit annoying. And she steals. She does steal from all the people she stays with. Like. From everybody, yeah. yeah. Like, people are offering her a bed and she just nicks stuff. Alice in Wonderland Syndrome, she claims she has. I don't know what that is. Oh, that was really... That mm. was one of the bits where I laughed out loud. Is that not a real... It's not a real... No, it syndrome, is a real so. thing. It's got a Wikipedia entry, which I looked up. Oh. It's this idea that you experience... I, th- I think you might experience yourself as bigger than you are or smaller than you are or something. Like. Oh, right. Sorry, Jacob, you say you're laughing out loud. I it was just it was a moment in the movie. It's excruciating. I was yeah, I was just gonna say, because this ties into she has a co-conspirator who's helping her on her film, right? Yes, who does seem quite normal. Normal, yeah. <laughs> that story comes from her, doesn't it? She tells the story about having this Alice in Wonderland ah. syndrome, I think. Mm-hmm. And then later Benny uses this in I think in the party. Like as if to make conversation with somebody. No, it's when they're interviewing actors. They're interviewing yeah, actors right. and she's just trying to maintain... Her friend leaves the room and she tries to come out. It's like making small talk, <laughs> which she obviously doesn't know how to do. She comes out <laughs> with that story, which is a friend's story from her childhood. Yeah. I think I it's quite revealing, isn't it, about her character. It was genuinely, I found it excruciating to watch because she had nothing to give and she was just trying to fill in time and be normal. And then uh, during this kind of... 
crushing speech that she gives where you realize like we're in that she's just making she's just stealing someone else's life in order yeah. to fill in at the end of this she kind of grimaces and says i'm not very good one-on-one <laughs> her friend is the one who says very early in the movie when they're talking about it's one of several scenes where i thought this was about to become a lesbian soft porn movie <laughs> A little bit like Suspiria, I was all ready for it, but I was like, sadly disappointed. But her friend says to her at one point, when they're discussing the movie, which we see very little, if anything, of. Mm. So we don't know really what the movie's about, in a sense. Although, you we know, know it's a horror movie. movie. But her friend says, we have to kill your baby. And what she seems to be getting at is the idea that, like, as an artist, when you're presenting your ideas, you need an editor who might tell you to remove something which you find mm. is very important to your work but actually needs to be taken out because that's what editors do say mm. and, but she takes to that phrase doesn't she i think she responds to that phrase and later very near the end of the movie we discover that she had presumably lost a child or had an abortion or i see is that what happens i'm saying this very guardedly and cautiously because <laughs> i feel that this movie is makes no sense prob- <laughs> well, or is it a bit beyond me, right? You know, I feel or like makes I'm, no in, sense. I'm in Destination IO territory here. I actually, <laughs> why, for instance, when she leaves... Are you floating think, in outer space when you watch this movie? Richard? I don't... It's do you cleverer feel grounded than, or rooted to anything? Or do you just feel like you're... I think it might, it might be cleverer than me. Ah. Like, why does she find a whole orange on the pavement when she, when she leaves whatever house she's being thrown out of? How did how does that work? Where did that rabbit come from? That very weird scene where she guts the rabbit. That's lunch. She's eating it. Her mother cooks it. Take Later, care of this rabbit. Her mother cooks it. Yeah, but and where do you get she's... rabbit from in that way? They're French. They do that kind of thing. You can buy, she does have buy a, a big rabbit. proper French bread, doesn't she? Later with a bit of it's rustic French, isn't it? Yeah. Cooking I mean, a rabbit with a a whole rabbit. I note to listeners: rustic is not necessarily criticism when it comes to French cuisine. <laughs> I mean, cock or van is a is a rustic is a rustic dish, isn't it? But Absolutely. These days, yeah. seems to be evaluated to haute cuisine. So. And and hunter's chicken, what's that? Hunter's chicken, yeah, yeah. Is I've forgotten how you say it in French. Spatchcock. No, that's the British version. Isn't hunter's chicken just barbecue sauce and cheese? Probably doesn't sound very French. But uh, what do <laughs> I know? Oh, just give me a good fella's pizza. I I I I, I, just, I mean, good food is good food, but sometimes you just want a cheap pizza, don't you? Do you know what I mean? I think this film is not pizza. No. No. <laughs> so I, I I, have spent a lot of time being generous to this film. It's awful to have a response like, I think this film is too clever for me. That's an awful response. Like, because because it, because the, the better response is, why wasn't the film working harder to get me to understand it? This film doesn't make sense, right? Let's be honest. This well, film is I set think- in London. It's by a British guy. Yeah. And... 90% of the dialogue is in French. If that, <laughs> well done. Well if that is in pretentiousness, like smacking you over the head, I don't know what is. But if this, I think we've, hit a, we've hit an important point here, which is if this movie were French cuisine, what French cuisine would it be? Hmm. What's that? Is it all on where there's a whole sparrow that you have to suck up under a napkin? <laughs> so disgusting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not escargot, is it? It's not snails. It's nothing... It's too weird. It's too different to just be like, you know, like quintessentially French and difficult. It's just very, very strange. I mean, towards the end, she's walking blindfold, uh, barefoot on drugs, and then she's cooking on drugs. And then does mum attempt suicide? She does. Now, mum dies, doesn't she? Her mum successfully yeah, because, herself. Because she ends up having to go to the funeral director and talk about how. Um, you know, what, what she wants for the <sighs> funeral. The very end of the movie, she breaks the fourth wall. She turns to look at you through yes, the yeah. camera. It's, again, I felt like that means something, but I don't know really what it means. <laughs> I I can give you the theories that I've had, having Please not do. been filled in, filled in in any way by Ben. This is just what I came up with watching it the second time. The first time I watched it, my main thought was it's... The, film that my friend made I want to like it and then it turned out I watched it and I thought it was interesting and that was sort of enough that I when I said to him I liked it I didn't have to lie 
which is good, right? Because the context that I put it in is if I'd have tuned into this at one o'clock in the morning on Channel 4 in like, mm. night, I would yeah. have kept watching. I would have kept yes. watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like Eastern European animation about yes. communism. I mean, it was that sort I know of thing. Exactly what you it was mean. just, it was just, I've never seen anything like this before. And I, I kept watching this time around. I really took seriously the idea that it was deconstructing horror. That's what it says that this woman's doing in the film. So I kind of ah. started paying attention to that and filmmaking in general. Mm. So yeah. the orange, the orange shows up. And now the orange is the most suspect theory that I have definitely because the orange <laughs> goes nowhere. There's an orange. She picks it up from a tree when she leaves a house. And then there's another orange somewhere else. And I don't know if it's the same orange. And then at some point something horrifying happens and she wants an orange. And that nothing happens with that at all. And I think that that's like, what is it when you leave in a film something to be seen and it's going to be reincorporated and important? It's like foreshadowing? that. Foreshadowing? Yeah. yeah, foreshadowing. It's like... it's like Paul calls it foreloading, but we won't no. get into that. I think the orange is, is a foreloading that goes nowhere because sometimes that shit happens. Hmm. Sometimes you find an orange and it's nothing to do with anything. <laughs> sometimes you do, yeah. Sometimes you do. The next thing that I think, this I think I might be a little bit more sure of is the dream the dream occurs again and again and again and you're slowly finding out more and more and more and at the very Mm. end the denouement of the dream you kind of get the impression it's something to do with a child being hurt or dying Mm. or an abortion or something like that and her mother is deeply involved right her mother's like there at the end kind of done up as a zombie she's the reveal there's in the dream there's a door she's been trying to get to it's being banged on and she opens it and her mother's behind it and this is going to be a great big revelatory moment like we're going to find out what the dream means and she wakes up and goes to see her mother and her mother's dead in the bathroom mm. again it's another thing about trying to show she says it in the movie real horror huh? you know she's she, i want to make a movie about real horror and real horror is I won't fix it for you. It's not going to be okay. <laughs> Life hurts. There's. I heard a thing that's beautiful that might be t- tangentially related to this. It was a response to truth is stranger than fiction. And oh. I, I don't know who said this, but the response was, that's right, because fiction has to make sense. Because fiction does have to make sense, yeah. right? Whereas truth doesn't. Truth just sucks or doesn't. Or, you know, the world is kind of a mess, non-narrative. So that, I saw that. And... The first time through, I did get this, I think, and I don't know if either of you thought this, I think at the end, Benny has done a murder. Ah, Benny loves killing. Benny gone done a murder. She's killed she's, the she's only person. She's, she's only gone did a murder. Who has she killed? It's suggested the only person who's been constantly her ally throughout the whole film is her partner in crime in making the film, Alex, this woman who reveals to her about Alice in Wonderland syndrome, the one who's uh, goes to talk to actors for her when she can't talk to actors. The yep. one who's, you know, got her back and telling her everything's okay. She's in the bathroom with her. They're alone. She confesses in French all of her crimes. And this woman says, I don't understand. That's another thing. Like, it's a confessional that, that doesn't land, that doesn't do anything. It's a confession without a confession. And then it cuts and you see her only Benny now she's got blood on her a little bit Mm. and she's angry with herself and you see and she goes down to get a cigarette and there's two cigarettes but the other one's just burning and so she smokes the cigarette and then she goes and she washes herself in the bathroom finally she has a shower to clean which which again was that was sort of professed by the bit when she's actually making a movie and the actors being told that they want her in the shower washing the blood off because that's like cleansing herself of the Mm. so it's happening in real life isn't it yes yeah exactly and there's also i'm not sure they mention a shower scene several times in the movie Mm. it it comes in very early and yeah she cleans herself she comes out she looks directly in the camera and she's clean and new and she smiles at the camera yeah yeah it's it's horrible a really horrible horror movie and i think that this this is one of the things that makes it interesting Almost entirely female cast. Almost Absolutely, completely. Yeah. I, I, from top I agree to with you. I think it is interesting for that, yeah. So I, there, there are definitely ideas here that he's being cleverer than us. However, I think as a filmmaker, <laughs> you should draw 
you should draw your viewers into what you're thinking. And I don't think he does that. I mean, the, the, the only thing I respond to that is the orange thing, I think I might be, like I say, making shit up to try and help my no, friend. No, no, I think you're right. It's definitely there because he, he's, you know, he's, he's saying, here's, here's, a, here's a, a, a plot device that is a prop that doesn't do anything. You know, it's, it's, it's a definitely deconstructive comment about, about what props do in a movie. But. And then the other thing about this, of course, is when she's describing her project to a tutor or whatever, she's saying it's a meta movie about horror movies, which is exactly yeah. what this film is. You know, yeah. so is this film really her project? Is this her essay? Mm. Is how I think I'm reading this. Yeah, I mean, the point is a murder did occur, but because he's deconstructed it and given us oranges instead of instead of a murder instead, weapon no. instead of murder weapons. We don't see it as the horror that it is, you see. Mm. So it, this is definitely what's going on in the movie. Mm. But does it make sense apart from that? No, it doesn't. And does it make sense as a whole because of that? No, it doesn't. I mean, it, it it's still quite a lot of quite a lot of <laughs> random crazy people walking around London doing things that aren't very commonsensical, you know. It's another one for the, <laughs> along with High Life, for the Christmas family viewing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to score Jacob's Friends movie. <laughs> okay. Ben Woody Wiss's movie, Benny Loves Killing, which I, I I have no idea if the things I'm saying are true or I'm being too generous or any of that stuff. I personally really liked it as a four, as a two o'clock in the morning Channel 4 movie, first time through and second time through. I just took the idea of it deconstructing horror very seriously and, and, and actually ended up liking it even more. Acting. Is the, the category we need to start with. Yeah, the acting is definitely the strongest part of this movie. I'm going to give it an eight. Oh. And say no more. You often say that you'll say no more, which is nice, oh. Paul. Concise acting. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the acting was extremely good in this film. It had to be, didn't it? Because we're constantly watching the, uh, the, the cast of this film. The only weak one, I think, was the, ironically, the lady playing the actor that they mm. tried to hire. Yeah. I mean, I think they're trying to say that she's kind of naive or and she's played that way, but it didn't quite strike me as real in some senses. But there we go. Maybe that's what it's like in the filmmaking business. I don't know. So I'm going to say, yeah, 7.5, I think. I, because I loved, I think her name, I wrote it down, Pauline Cootsie. Yes, that's right. Is she French? I believe so. Given how much were on her shoulders and how well she did, and as you said, how vulnerable she was, I, I have to give it a nine. I, I none of the, I did I, the actress didn't particularly. The actress made me laugh usually, usually when she was on, being naive and sort of asking for things in a very sincere way that just made me hate her very, very much from the point of view of the protagonist. Yeah, nine. Do we do a fear factor score for this horror movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> no you, you think it's completely invalid we have to do an existential factor I think okay although it's like not an existentialist it. movie but existentialist feel kind of factor if you know what I mean this film feels like it's in the same territory as nothing really happens yes. although far better than nothing really happens <laughs> I'm going to call it the jeton factor you know do you feel like you should be smoking a cigarette <laughs> and thinking deeply about things can we call it the jeton factor jeton factor yeah I like that <laughs> Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and and I don't. I, I I think it tried to have a jeton factor, but didn't really make it past the Silicon Junction there. So for me, four point five. I'm in the same territory. I I think it is playing with this meta horror film thing. Definitely. Yeah. And I quite like that. And I quite like, as you say, the the suggestion of a killing at the end and the breaking of the fourth wall. Yeah. I like that bit. So. I will give it a six. It's above average, I think. The jeton factor, I think. I, I, I did get suckered in. I know. I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm probably being over generous. So I'm going to mark it down for my own over generosity. I'm yeah. going to give it a seven jeton this factor. This kind of meta is exactly what the film is trying to promote, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I mean, are we, are we marking the film she was making or the film she was writing an essay about or the film that we watched? I don't know. I can't figure it out anymore. Uh, no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> who are we to know yeah we do sometimes well we, for both horror and sci-fi we have science sorry not science special effects don't we hmm. I'm not sure there were any special effects 
Not that we can score it in that vein, no. But there's a production design element, I suppose. Yes. I was going to say, cinematography, maybe. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can go with that. I mean, the, all that really close-up stuff is different. It felt like it was a product of the restrictions they were working with. I'll tell you what was really good. I thought the sound was really good. Mm. Just the way that they handled the dialogue and... The sound was good. It, it's difficult to do sound in films like this because, yeah. again, they're not on a sound stage. Um, they're working in quite restricted filming locations. I imagine they're not. I imagine they're not in. Sort of, don't have the appetite for massive, you know, dubbing. Overdubbing, no, no. I, I was quite impressed by that, particularly yes. for the budget of the film. So I'll give this another seven, maybe an eight. I'll go for eight. I'm going to give it a seven in terms of budget for this, definitely. Yeah. Bearing in mind the budget, I, I'm going to go with a a nine, a strong nine, because. I gave it a less last time. Now I'm going to go. I'm going to go with my gut, and I'm going to go further than my gut. I'm going to go as far as my genitals, and I'm going to say nine. You're voting with your dick. Wow. Yes. I mean, for me, I, you, you're talking about some of the close-up shots and 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 the angularity for like of the directing. It wasn't a problem for me. I think a couple of movies back, Richard, we were talking about Suspiria, and I was saying some of the older, more experienced actors in any of that were kind of doing that very enunciated, very mm. I'm going to show my feelings kind of thing, which looking back on, I now call Glenda Jackson does Elizabeth I doing sex kind of thing. <laughs> the 1970s BBC Two plays, a very sort of forced, I am acting, I am acting <laughs> sex. <laughs> you know, kind of attitude. And I thought that was of its era, the 1970s. And I thought this was of its era, you know, the early 2010s, mm. in that, uh, that aspect of cinema verite where it's all close ups and it's not Hill Street Blues kind of faked reality where you've got these very carefully designed pan shots to make it look like it's all moving and real but isn't. You know, they're in a real location, it's real shots. And, and there's, a nakedness to, to the cinematography that is quite appealing. So, so yeah, so I thought that directorial decision to do that was brave and I mostly carry off, so that's why I scored it the seven. What about storyline and plot then? Oof, well, yeah. I mean, Jake has now explained it to me and I have to agree looking back that that's what it's all about. It's a meta discourse, isn't it? A, 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 post-modern, a, post-modern, a, a postmodern analysis of the role of plot elements in making horror and that real horror is horrific because we don't know it has happened. Whereas in a movie, it's only horrorful if it's on screen. Yeah. If, if, if we're made aware of it and therefore if somehow we're not surprised by it, you know, because we have to see it coming in order for it to be horrible. I think that the contradictions there between what is really horrific in real life and what's horrible on screen, there is a diametric there. And I think it is worth exploring that. So yeah, I like that. Did did was he able to communicate that intention in a salient or a latent way? Because you know, I think there's a point to be said that you know you can't throw this at the audience because well, that's just postmodern just just doesn't do that, does it? You know, it's it's like we we have to put the clues in there in order to get meta on it kind of thing. I, I can see why you can't just say, and this is what the movie is about. But at the same time, you think about somebody like Peter Greenaway, mm. Drowning by Numbers, who does the same sort of cryptic self-referencing to his deconstructed plots, and he manages to make it work, although th- you know, 20 years earlier in quite an old-fashioned kind of way. I just thought that he didn't quite pull off this meta-narrative deconstruction or discourse quite Apart from that, the movie itself is pretty nonsense, script-wise. <laughs> so, so, yeah. But I'm interested in all your thoughts on it. Is that what it is, then? Is this movie postmodernism? Is that why it's it in is, French? yes. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, it's certainly post-structuralist. Is it, does that therefore make it deconstructionist? I don't know, because stru- structuralism and constructionism are not the same thing, are they? You have to ask an ex- expert on, on this kind of stuff, which I'm definitely not. But it's definitely in the postmodern vein, isn't it? You can't see this movie in two completely different ways. And on one level, it's just a story of, you know, a girl going off the rails, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a messy nonsense story on one level, isn't it, that doesn't work. Well, she doesn't have an arc, really, does she? No. She doesn't develop. But that's what the movie's saying. 
I mean, yeah. isn't it? On the other level, it's saying to hell with the Ark, mm. or it's questioning what the Ark does when we're, when we're storytelling. And there seems to be as much unsaid in this movie as there is said. That's either brilliant filmmaking and writing <laughs> or crappy lazy filmmaking <laughs> and writing. I don't know. I don't know. I, well, uh, look, let's score it before Jacob gets his chance to, to say it because right. I, he's suggesting that somehow we're, we're, we're scoring toward or with him kind of thing, and we're not. So I'm going to score <laughs> it a two on the scripting, despite mm. the fact that the higher level stuff and the meta stuff is more than a two, but just, no, the other stuff, the movie is a movie, it doesn't work, does it? And it's it's a bit of a hot mess, so I'm going to score it a two. Sorry. Richard? I will say a four. Ooh. I think it is less of a hot mess than some of the films we've seen. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I kept thinking when I was watching it, I wish mm. I was watching Naked. Mm. Wow. With, yeah, uh, Naked was a film that I didn't I didn't know the point of it until somebody explained me afterwards. I didn't get it. Mm. But that was a very, very simple central thing that suddenly made a whole bunch of stuff click in it. Yeah. Naked, is that the two homeless people shouting for each other in the middle of London? It's David Thewlis, isn't it? Trying to find each other, yeah? Yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. What is it, what is it all about? What's it all about? Is there can, a reason can we, to can we, like, Can we spoil another movie that we aren't talking about? Is that fine? <laughs> you can absolutely spoil <laughs> a that, movie. It's really that, the point what's, of what's it all about, <laughs> that Naked? Well, he, I, okay, put it this way. I saw the movie. I don't remember too much about it, but I saw the movie. I was like, that man seems out of his good. What was that about? Yeah. And then so afterwards somebody said, well, he has AIDS. Oh, wow. And then it all goes, oh, then that happened because of that. And then that, and that's why he was talking to her. about. And then, oh my I God, it's see. really good. You've got to back, you've got to back work the lock kind of thing. Backtrack mm. to make it make sense. That's what, that's my memory of seeing it. And then somebody saying that afterwards. I see. So it's, a, it's again, it's a, it's a movie that asks you to reverse engineer. It's, it's plot line. Yeah. Jacob, what was your script and storyline score then? Well, I, I scored this in my head before, any, and I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with yeah, it. I'm going to give it. So you should. A, I'm going to give it a ten and a zero, because I don't know how to score it. I think yeah. possibly. However, while you were talking, I did think I was really praising Get Out for managing to do a very straightforward horror flick. Yes. And have another level. Yes. There is no straightforward flick here. There's no horror. It doesn't present any horror. So I think for it to work, we've got to see the horror. And then see behind the screen, see behind the curtains and see it's not horror, you see, or see this horror in a different kind of way. And it doesn't do that. We just get a quite abstract presentation of how horror movies might be seen to work, you see. I mean, basically, Barbarian Film Studio failed in, Sound Studio failed in the same kind of way. Same way, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about postmodernism or poststructuralism or any of that stuff, uh, really. Except to have heard about it, and it's something. To do, wasn't it something to do with architecture originally? Showing the pipes, something like that. <laughs> Showing wasn't the it? pipes. <laughs> wasn't it? But wasn't I think that? we generally. I think most of us, like Jordan Pearson, we can recognise it when we see it. Yeah, and de- it definitely is postmodern. Sure, is. sure, 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 sure. However, in terms of its horror, the, the, I gave it the ten because when I watched it the second time and and put a few things together, I was like, that's really nasty like yeah. i i after watching it the first time i was like i haven't figured out the dream i haven't figured out the dream mm. and then i was watching it and it's literally oh something happened with her mum. now she's going to find out now it's going to all be no her mum's dead mm. uh. that's horrible it's mm. a horrible 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 film and there are no oh and there are no men on screen let me prize in one last thing i noticed so you mentioned about seeing over the shoulder of the person who's giving her criticism. Yeah. Uh, saying, yeah. not allowed to do a film for your essay. You can't. Yes. Don't be mental. Yeah. Be normal. Be normal, lady. But there are two other scenes where you get over the shoulder shots. And the next one was also genuinely horrible. You said she was sexually harassed in a bathroom. It wasn't, I mean, it was sexually harassed, but it's, again, it's over the shoulder. It's over the shoulder, somebody's shoulder. Yeah. And he's giving her instructions and making her do horrible things. That's a genuinely disturbing scene. It's one of the most disturbing scenes in a oh, film yeah. about sexual violence. It's Lynchian. It's like Blue Velvet or something. It's like, oh my God, why are you showing me this? And that's 
that's a real cinema experience for me. Here's where the 10 comes from. And the last point, by the way, having noticed that in the beginning, because I remembered that scene. And then when I was watching it mm. the second time, I went, oh, it's happening again when they're telling her, you can't make what you want to make. You have to make what I'm telling you to make. Don't make that. Make this. It's yeah. replayed with the abuser in, in the bathroom. And then after her mother dies, the same shot for somebody telling her, Tell, explain to her how much money she needs to pay for her mother's funeral. And oh, he's true. really insistent on the money. He's like, this is how much it costs. You can't afford that. You can afford that. And that's another very mundane horror. I see what you're... That's where I'll give it the zero. I see what you're getting at. But like, what's underneath is just awful. Really. No, you're right. You're right. Awful. Uh, and those scenes... Uh, one of the horrible things about the sexual harassment scene is you know you feel very much like you are the harasser you know it's filmed like your first person shot isn't it in a way interesting you bring up get out it's the same thing it it puts you in the position that rather puts you in the position more of the victim but you know it's an interesting take to like uh, show the kind of sex casual sexual harassment that women you know, tell us that they experience all the time. And, and that's an element we've barely spoken about, is is that he yeah. mentions women in horror and there are only women. But I, I don't really feel qualified to... No, it's difficult. It's difficult. Mm. But it's. I think it's a very powerful way of presenting it. I mean, this all brings us on to an overall score. Ooh. And for everything you said, you know, it's, it's very difficult. It is a 0 or 10 film, right? There's a lot going for it. I think there are good things. And I, I love the all-female cast idea and the presentation of those elements that you've described despite a lot of failings i think this is an interesting film and it is probably worth seeing i can't remember what did we score barbarian sound studio the, the two are very similar in, in a lot of respects aren't they what do i give it i think i would give this fuck i'll give this a five i've got to give it a five there are some parts of it that are brilliant and there are other parts that i'm not sure what i'm doing here i don't feel i don't feel as i belong to it in in some mm. senses Crackers, Paul. What do you think? I've kind of forgotten how I scored it now. Would you recommend it? Would you say people should see it? For me, it's 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 a movie that doesn't hang together particularly well. Is my biggest objection. But I can see it's trying to be angular. You know, it's trying to have some odd shapes about it. It's trying not to tessellate into movie experience precisely because of its intentions. So, yeah, I mean, it's worthwhile people seeing it if they want to think about how a movie works from a a quite idiosyncratic perspective. I think his take on how movies work is a little idiosyncratic, but not not, not worthwhile. So for that reason, it is worth seeing. Generally, to see it as, you know, like a late night, settle down with a bottle of wine art movie, definitely worth seeing. I I don't think it delivers very much on typical... Uh, emotional levels so it's quite bleak so I don't know final score I'm going to say 4.5 it's just off a recommend because I, I could recommend it for these reasons to go and watch it but I don't think most people will come in there wanting those kind of movies you know what I'm saying yeah so yeah 4.5 so just shy of uh, that that watch don't watch kind of boundary I now feel like I should have just been here as a locutor. I should have just been here as the film's champion. I don't, I don't feel qualified to give it a score, but it's an eight. And I, I don't wow. think that that's fair and probably not right. But it's my mate's movie and he made it and it's good. And it made me feel weird shit. And you, if you want to see something horrible. Actually, yeah, you make a, you make a compelling case. For so me. you're going to rescore it. I'm going to score it to five. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. If you if you don't know whether you want to spend time with this movie, he has a YouTube channel and you could go watch some of the stuff there. Ben Woody Wiss. He's got some short films. He has some short he? films and very recently he released something where he was thinking for a very long time about one shot from one film. The name again is Ben Willie Woody Wiss. Woody Wiss. W-O-D-I-W-I-S-S. Woody Wiss. Woody Wiss. Ben Woody Wiss. Okay. So that was the last thing he made, Jacob. You've got any other friends who made any films? No, you need to and watch? by God, if I ever come on here again, I'm not going to bring anything anyone I know has made. <laughs> it felt weird. It felt weird. I I changed my mind. Yeah, really? I didn't. I didn't want to do it because I want to evangelize for it, but then I don't want to. 
be in the room while judgment is cast. I want to. I, I. I just want to take the role of the person who says this is interesting. This is cool. This is interesting because I do find it interesting. I have no idea whether it's because he's my pal or not. Yeah, well, it's an interesting position to put you in. I'm very glad that I made you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> no, I may, I picked the movie. I made myself feel uncomfortable. Although you did notice that I frantically sent you an email uh, a, a few days before we did this. Going, we could watch these other movies. <laughs> well, what were the other movies on that email? Remind oh, me. Oh, God. Um, because it's that time of the oh. podcast where we figure out what we're going to watch next week. I have two suggestions. Hmm. Well, one of them was yes. Us, which is Jordan Peele's next movie and a, a recent and a big success at the box office just before lockdown, I think, actually. Um, that would be option yeah. one. Option two, out of left field, and I'm not even sure it's a horror, but I think it might be listed under horror, would be David Aronofsky's mother. Uh-huh. Who wants to choose, then? Well, I think because... Uh... Because Jacob is here, Jacob should have first, first, first shout. Really. Oh, definitely us because wow. I really like Get Out. I think that's a good yes. choice. Uh, I don't know whether you'll be able to make it again, Jacob. It's up to you, really. You might find another. Oh, no, I, I, I really enjoy myself. I, did, I, I didn't know if you'd want me back. Definitely. All right. If we can find the time, we'll have you back, and we need to watch the next movie then, which is Us by Jordan Peele. That's it from us. Thank you for listening. Episode 30. 40. And here's the end theme music in three, two, Does two, Does it have subliminal messages? One. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it does, actually. <laughs> Both forwards and backwards. Thank you.